By the way, if we don't have current information on you, if your email contact info has changed, please fill the bottom section of that uh, handout out and drop it in the offering as it passes. And our Friends Cookout is coming up Saturday. If you've not seen Ruth yet for what you, you can bring to that, there's a, a, a sign-up sheet. She's downstairs, by the way. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby in the back on the table, and you can see what's already been signed up for and what is still needed for that. So uh, uh, I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Get your cornhole skills refined between now and Saturday because uh, the swag the swag for the cornhole winner is pretty lucrative. So uh, I'll give you a fair warning. So uh, hope to see you there at noon at Host River Park. Turn to John chapter 1. Um, <clears throat> when I was in elementary school, especially in the 5th and 6th grade, <clears throat> the teachers called it dodgeball. But we called it battle ball because it was a battle, especially in fifth or sixth grade. And the girls, of course, were the first to get out first because girls are weenies. I mean, why don't so I, I knew that spark arise. Uh, <clears throat> but the girls usually got out first. It was down <clears throat> in the fifth and sixth grade, usually to me, Malcolm, and Skip with the final three in the, in the game. And depending on who was, who was on Malcolm's side, Malcolm was the equalizer. He was the one. In fact, it's hard to beat Malcolm because Malcolm, even in fifth or sixth grade, his hands were bigger than mine today. And he was probably, I don't know, five, six or so, five, seven, sixth grade. Long, lanky guy, big hands, long arms. And the key to winning battle ball, or dodgeball for you sissies, but the key to winning... The key to winning battle ball is how well you can catch the ball. It's not how well you can throw it. Because at the end of the game, there's just two people left. And so you're trying to throw it at the other one's feet, to, to hit their feet, because if you get it up high, they can catch it. didn't matter where you got it close to Malcolm. He was catching it. He always won. He was the great equalizer. And so you, as we chose battle ball teams, you wanted to be on Malcolm's side. As we're choosing choices through life, you always want to be on the side of grace. We're going to see this morning from this text in John 1. Grace is the great equalizer. It levels out all, all, the, all the rough places in life. It levels out the places where, where life doesn't make sense, where you're walking through a hard place or through a valley, or in job changes or marriages or, or relationship struggles or any, any season of life that you walk through where you, you're not getting it. You don't, you're not understanding it all. Grace is the great equalizer to help you see what you can't see, understand in time what you can't understand today. Let's look at this text, John chapter 1. I want us to look at verses 1, or verse, yeah, verse 1, and then drop down to verse 14 to 18 of John 1. My, one of my favorite passages, not my favorite in the Bible. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now drop down to verse 14. The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory from the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is he of whom it said, uh, uh, this is he whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, four things I want us to see today from this text. 
The first is this, is that grace was and is intended to dwell with us. Look at verse 14, the first part of verse 14. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Matthew 1, and 23 speaks to this idea of, of Emmanuel. That's what I want to drive home today. It says this, all this took place. To fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, this dwelling in us. Uh, he came in the form physically of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' lifetime and his birth, and that is ascension, and that all points since when someone prays to receive Christ, comes to dwell, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, God in us, in the form of the Holy Spirit. Now, grace is made known now to us by the drawing and dwelling of his Holy Spirit. It was in that time made known by the presence and power of Jesus and his miracles and the, th- the things that he did to draw men to himself and that the fact that he was God and offered grace to us at the cross. The, 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 the Spirit offers an urgency to us today in the form of the Holy Spirit in our hearts day to day. That's why for the believer, among the gifts you've received at salvation, full grace surpasses them all. It just surpasses them all because, as I said earlier, it helps us see what we can't see, understand what we can't understand by the process of God saying, I'm not going to give you the whole picture today. You take a step, and I'll give you the grace to take the step, and I'll give you grace to understand more. Take another step. I'll give you the grace for that step and the grace of understanding that follows it. I'll give you the next step of grace and the grace of understanding that follows it. And he, by his grace, guides us into his plan, into his way, into his will. Uh, Grace can't be known apart from Emmanuel. It can't be experienced apart from God with us, God around us, God in us, and God with us. Uh, kindness comes from our heart. Grace from the Holy Spirit in us, Emmanuel in us. It's intended to, to, to dwell in us, he says here. The latter part of verse 14 says that grace was and is not only intended to, to dwell with us, but intended to bring us balance. Grace is intended to bring us balance. Look at the last part of verse 14. He says this, uh, came to dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Watch this, full of grace and truth. Came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus walked in perfect balance with those two things. It's hard for you and I to get that, that, that balance, but that's where we need to try and strive to seek. He walked in perfect balance. Here's, here's a couple of examples. You know the story of God coming to the temple to, to run the money changers out of the temple. He did that because they were stealing. Uh, it, it was a normal process for, for Jewish temple leaders to sell off the, the excess of what had been brought to the church by, for offerings and so forth. But they were stealing from the people, charging exorbitant prices for, for whatever it was, doves or meat or whatever had, been brought, whatever had been brought to sacrifice. He sees that thievery taking place and runs the money changers in truth out of the temple, saying, my house is to be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of thieves lays truth down to them, and, and overturns their tables and chases them out. Uh, the other thing that juxtaposed to that story is this story of Zacchaeus, who was a thief himself, yet climbed up in a tree, as you know, to see Jesus. And Jesus calls him down out of the tree and says, let's go to your house and have a little something to eat. Associating with sinners what was taboo in that day, not, not to be done. Similar story with Magdalene. Magdalene caught in the act of adultery, the law says she's to be stoned. The Pharisee says, what do you say? Well, I say that you who are without sin cast the first stone. Your rock's falling. The story of grace 
and the story of truth embodied in the life of Jesus himself. That's where you and I are to seek this balance as we seek to walk out this, this, this idea of our faith. Most of us are usually, usually lacking in one of those. We're usually lacking in the truth, meaning that we, we fail to be honest with ourselves and honest with others. Or we're lacking in grace, meaning that we're lacking in a sense of gratitude and transparency with which we live our lives in front of others and before others. Um, it's easy to lose our perspective on those two things in, in, in alienated worlds. E- either if you're real conservative and you think, I go to church, I pay my bills, uh, I drive a minivan, I, I'm trying to do, do my best to, you know. Or if you're uh, on, on the liberal side of things and you think government's supposed to provide everything and it's supposed to be the answer to everything and, and that we're, we're gods into ourselves, little gods into ourselves. Grace finds itself in the middle of those two places. Grace says, yes, uh, you who believe the Bible, you who go to church, if you're going to err, err on the side of truth, but look at those around you that don't believe those things and pour grace all all over them. But it's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to look at you folks who don't believe what you and I believe and and don't see, in fact, they're trying to alienate God from our culture many times intentionally by by design and give grace to those kinds of folks. I'm going to tell you this, though. Grace is a far more contagious picture of God's love than truth is. And I'm a guy who errs on the side of truth. I'm, a, I'm just, grace is hard for me. That's why I love, love teaching this, this kind of teaching because it's far easier for me to see truth and say, here's right, here's wrong, get in the right way. God, here's, here's God's way, get in the right way. And life's going to work for you. Well, what if I can't see that? What if I don't understand that? What if I've never walked that place? I need to pour grace on folks to, to give them the time and, and, and available uh, access to get in that place. So, if, if, you're, if our need is for balance, uh, and, but we need it, our churches need balance, uh, we, our, our, our jobs need balance, we all need balance, and, and we all need Jesus because we all need balance, and we all need balance because we all need grace, usually. We err on the side of truth, if you're like me. So it's intended to dwell with us, grace is and was, and it's also intended to bring us balance. The third thing is this, grace was and is intended to grow in us. Look at verse 15. John testified concerning him and cried out, saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He who comes after me was also before me. So what's he saying? Jesus was before time, in time, and after time. He was saying that he is eternal. He who comes before me to be baptized by me lived before me, lived before creation of the earth began. He who was before me is now in front of me and will be after me. He, he is timeless, this, this, this Jesus, this God-man. So he says he became flesh, verse 14, and had to grow up. How did he do that? Listen to this story in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 to 40. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. Watch. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. How did he grow up? With wisdom and the grace of God on him. You know how you and I are to grow up? With wisdom and the grace of God on us. You know how those behind us are to grow up? With wisdom and the grace of God in and on their lives. Uh, he, was, he was, just as he was physically and, and, and mentally nourished, he was also spiritually nourished in the grace, in the favor, more or less, is what grace means, of God. That he saw the favor of God in his life. So, as we grow in wisdom and knowledge, we also grow in this thing called grace. 
Listen to Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which, watch this, can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. This grace can build you up, can grow you, and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. He's saying here that our growth needs to come from a platform of the grace of God being poured into us and from us into others. That's how we grow. So just as just as being physically overweight can be hard for us physically, being spiritually overweight, which many of us are, we've soaked in far more than we squeeze out. And many of us are spiritually overweight. He's saying, let the grace come out of your life. Let it be squeezed out of your life into the lives of others is what he's saying here in this passage. And he's saying to to... As you digest the word, as you digest the truth, you squeeze the grace back out of it into those around you. As you, as you soak on the truth of God's word here on Sunday, on your own, in your own home, at, at your lunch with the Bible on your phone, as you soak in the truth of the word of God, let that be lived back out by way of grace. Let grace come back out as evidence that truth is coming in, he's saying here. So this idea of, of, of growth uh, is such that we feed on the word, digest the word, and give it back out, live it back out by way of grace. So if we're, if we're spiritually overweight, we're not going to do that very well. Uh, if we're, just like if we're physically overweight. Grace in and grace and truth out. Uh, if our spiritual uh, health is out of whack, and this is true of me, vastly true of me, if my spiritual health is out of whack, it's usually because grace is out of whack in my life. It's not because truth is. I see truth. I, in fact, I hunger for it. I chase it. Uh, I chase it here week to week to, to give it to you. But if my life is spiritually out of whack, it's usually because grace is, is lacking in me, that it's not being lived out very well. And that's true, probably true of most of us. Finally, grace is intended to dwell with us, intended to bring us balance, intended to grow in us. Finally, grace was and is intended to be experienced. Look at verses 17 and 18. It's intended to be experienced. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Grace came through Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's received by us in verse, in verse 14 and following to make him known, as he says in verse 18. So how do we make him known? We live a life full of the balance of grace and truth. We live a, a life based on the truths of this book and squeeze that out of the cracks of our lives into the lives of others by way of grace. Grace that they don't deserve and grace that you didn't either. Christ died for your sins and gives you life every day. Uh, they're not in conflict with each other. They're intended, this, this passage says, to walk together just as he was, full of grace, full of truth every day. There is, we, we face the reality of truth every day in and, and gravity. We face the reality of truth every day in, in daylight and darkness, in, in, in bodies that decay. Those in your world and my world need to see the reality of grace every day as well. They need to see that lived out intentionally, intentionally lived out of your life and poured into theirs with some intentionality every day. Is that, does that look like us? Uh, how do we do that? Well, as we talked about last week, the generations behind us were more accessible and or, or more, more receptive and less accessible. The generation you and I live in now is more, more accessible and less receptive. So how do we, how do we, Get that truth to them. Well, you can get it to them digitally. You can get it to them verbally. You can get it to them experientially by, by showing love and, and, and giving and serving in whatever way you can uh, in, in an email, in, in, in a text. But more importantly, in forgiving someone who's wronged you. 
And taking somebody who's wronged you, who's hurt you, and says, by grace, I forgive you that. And whether or not they need to be told of their forgiveness, even if they don't know they've wronged you, it is your, it is our job, your job and my job to, to, to allow the grace of God to say, that slate's wiped clean. That slate's clean. I'm no longer holding that in, in reserve anymore to, to look for a way or look for an angle to get back at them. That's clean. God, take that from me. Give me the grace to take the hurt and the pain that their hurt caused me and forgive all of that today. Uh, who's wronged you? Loving somebody unlovable is far far <clears throat> harder than sitting back where you most <clears throat> where most of us sit to say, you're going to get yours one day. One day you're going to get yours. I hope I'm around. One day you're going to get yours. He's calling us in this verse, in this passage, in First John, to say, let that go. Was that, the, was that the truth that affected you in the moment? Yes, it was. But let's pour grace all over that truth. Let's pour grace all over that hurt. And pour the forgiveness in, in that situation into that person that probably in your mind and heart don't deserve it, but give it to them anyway because you didn't deserve it either when I was hanging at the cross. You didn't deserve the grace of God when he was hanging on the cross. I didn't either. But it was poured all over our sin. And he calls us to do that same thing to others. Uh, if we take an honest look at ourselves... And the scales of our life, we're usually out of balance, uh, most of us are. And if you're like me, well, grace is, grace is the one that's lacking, not truth. You may be here and you may be grace-filled. And you need to have an element of truth poured into your life to say, I need to know what I believe. I don't. I can't vocalize it. I can't share it. I need to know what I believe. I need to know uh, what I believe and why I believe it. I need to get my nose in this book. I need to find some doctrines, some truths that are, that are bedrock, that are foundational, that I know regardless of whatever storms come my way, I can stand because I know who he is. I know what he's done in me, and I know that rela- the relationship that carries in, in and through my life sustains me day after day after day regardless of the storm. I need to know those things. You need to see some truth poured into your life. Uh, most of us, though, are, are know enough truth to win the world to, the, to Christ but don't have the grace to do that consistently on our own. So, question as we wrap up, and that's this. What needs to be shored up in my life? If my life is out of balance, if you, if you can see a picture of scales here between grace and truth, and, and, and my life is out of balance, what needs to be shored up in me? Is it the grace of God to live more grace-worthy? Or is it the truth of God to know who I am, who he says I am, what I need to believe, and why I need to believe those things, and walk in those places, in those steadfast places, so that the storms and the and the mass shootings and, and, and the, uh, the judicial appointments and the, whatever it is that frustrates you. So that those things, I know who I am regardless of what happens around me in my world. I know who I am. I know what I believe and why I believe it. Does truth need to be shored up or is it grace for you? Which needs to be shored up? If, if you're like me, it's usually grace. And, and I, I need that daily. I pray for that daily, honestly. But I need that daily in my life to see the grace in me poured into you and you into someone else. That's God's design and his plan. Grace works. Grace works every time we put it to the test. It works every time. What needs short up in your life? Let's pray.